only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Wynn Whitman, uh, who is a lawyer uh, with the firm of Shank, Price, Smith & King in Morristown, New Jersey. Uh, welcome to the show, Wynn. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. Uh, Wynn has just put out a, a, a new book called Smart Women Protect Their Assets, Essential Information for Every Woman About Wills, Trusts, and More. Let's just start with the basic uh, problem here. Do, do a lot of women uh, take care of their wills and trusts well, or or they not handle what What is the, uh, the state of, of problem here? I think the heart of the problem is that many women tend to ignore this issue. It's certainly not a lot of fun to talk about end-of-life issues, and maybe they rely on a spouse or a partner instead of really covering these issues for themselves. And they're incredibly important for women of every age, whether they're 18 or 88. So um, why do people ignore these kinds? Just because it's not pleasant or they don't have the expertise? Or why, why is it that they do that? I think it's both, really. I think a lot of people... Sorry, I live in a town with a lot of sirens going by. Um, I think that people are nervous about talking about death. It makes them think that they're jinxing themselves in one way or another. I think for other women, they're, it's a complicated issue, and sometimes they think if I don't think about it, I'm not going to have to worry about it, and that's the uh, wrong decision to make. Is it something they often leave up to their spouses to think that they're going to take care of it in a good way? Well, I think there are a lot of women, unfortunately, even in today's day and age, who allow their their spouse, partner, or significant other to take care of all money decisions. And these are really decisions that they need to make for themselves, um, in part because often it's a joint decision and a couple can do really terrific things for their families by planning together. But also, one really needs to look after their own self-interests. Now, if you don't plan ahead and say you don't have a will, I guess it's called dying intestate. Exactly. Um, what uh, What are the negative consequences of that uh, to your financial situation? Right. The negative consequences are that the state in which you reside at the time that you die is going to dictate where your assets go. Um, for a lot of folks, that might be fine. Everything's going to go to their um, spouse or maybe some to their spouse and some to their children, depending on what state you live in. However, for a lot of people maybe those who aren't married or those who are separated or estranged from a spouse, that's not what they would want to have happen with their assets. Um, In addition, I think that there are a lot of terrific um, measures that you can take in your plan to save some tax dollars when you pass away. And unfortunately, when you die intestate, you're going to lose out on those tax savings opportunities. Tell me a little bit more about that. How are you going to be taxed more if you do not have a will than if you did have one. I'll give you my favorite Brady Bunch example for those of you from the 70s TV generation like me, that you have Carol and Mike Brady, terrific couple. Let's say hypothetically in 2009 they've done really, really well and they've got $7 million as a couple. Now, they each have $3.5 million. Now, if Carol dies and gives all her money to Mike, now he has $7 million. So what's going to happen when he dies? He's taxed on that whole $7 million. Um, and with an exclusion amount in 2009 of $3.5 that leaves $3.5 million to subject to tax, which could be a tax of well over $1.5 million. Alternatively, if Carol had taken her $3.5 million and put it into a trust for Mike's benefit, 
then there's not going to be any federal estate tax on the second death, and they will have saved at least a million and a half dollars, and that's pretty significant. Now, here we are in 2009. According to current laws, I understand it, in 2010, next year, uh, the estate tax disappears altogether, so maybe people shouldn't have to worry about these things. Is that correct? Um, well, we would all like to think that, but I think it was an issue during the election, although a very small one. And I believe that I think most practitioners are of the opinion that some change will be made in 2010 so that there is not a situation where there are no taxes due in 2010. So I expect it to hit Congress at some point in time. Um, President-elect Obama, during the election, indicated that he was in favor of continuing the $3.5 million exclusion from federal estate tax. Whether or not the uh, Congress is in agreement, we'll have to wait and see. But everyone seems to think it will fall kind of in that general area. So pretty much where we are today, you mean? Exactly. That's what we hope anyway. Is that your opinion as well as to what's going to happen? Um, oh, if we only had a crystal ball. Unfortunately, I don't think any of us really know, but that's where most practitioners, I think, would agree that it's headed. So you're saying that, that most practitioners would think that it's going to stay at three and, and a half million. million and not go up or down and, and not disappear in 2010? Correct. So it's, a big, it's a big money earner for the federal government, and I think that they're going to be, in a time when funds are really scarce, they're going to be looking to preserve that income stream. Although three and a half million is... is a lot of money. I mean, that doesn't affect a very large portion of the population. So, again, why is this something that most people need to worry about if they're well, because well I think, of $3.5 million? Right, because a lot of people don't realize that that $3.5 million is really everything that they have. It's their house. It's their 401K. It's an IRA. It's all of their savings. And what a lot of folks don't realize is that it also includes insurance proceeds. So if you have a big life insurance policy and you own and control that policy, that's an asset of your estate. And for many people, that can, surprising to them, pop them over the $3.5 million number. I still agree, though, that it's still not going to affect the majority of Americans. Now, in this book, uh, which, again, is called Smart Women Protect Their Assets, you say that women face, face specific, unique issues uh, that are ignored in typical discussions of estate planning. What are some of those issues? I think that we need to look at some women who might be um, have alternative lifestyles, meaning that they may be um, lesbians. They are not going to be represented in most states as having a domestic partner, and for that reason, their significant other is going to be considered a friend and in many states be taxed at a higher rate than a um, typical spouse or a descendant. That's going to cause them to want to do some planning to minimize the taxes due on the first death. I think a lot of women are often more concerned with how their children are going to utilize any funds that they receive. For example, they're concerned that their children might take this money and blow it. So often they're more interested in having a few strings attached to trust funds that might be left to small children. They're also very interested in really focusing some of their wealth and and their um, privilege to those less fortunate. Charitable planning is often a very big part of their estate planning if they are of um, means. So for that reason, I think, you know, usually you have a couple come in and it's a relatively routine plan of everything to one another in a trust and then continue on to their children. But women who are single, those who or interested in grandkids' educations, for example, or have alternative lifestyles, really should seek uh, an appointment with a practitioner to discuss some of these issues in depth. You talk about homeworkers, uh, people who are staying at home and not going working, really. 
um, often don't have assets in their own name, uh, and that causes some problems. What are some of the problems with not having assets in their own name? I'll go back to my Brady Bunch example. If you just have one member of the couple who has all the assets and the other is to die dies first, you've lost the ability to use their exclusion amount, and that's something you really want to do to pass more as a married couple. So for that reason, the spouse who maybe is not a traditional um, worker, meaning they're not earning funds from outside the house, should work with their spouse to make sure that they get some assets in their name. A spouse has an unlimited ability to transfer assets to the other spouse and to make sure those assets are in equally in each spouse's names. And sometimes that's as simple as changing the tenancy on an asset. For example, a lot of people's homes are owned as joint tenants. And with joint tenancy, there is a automatic right of survivorship. Um, the one joint tenant dies, everything passes along to the other joint tenant. You can simply, what we refer to as break that tenancy, so that it's a tenants in common real estate owning. It can be done with brokerage accounts as well, so that one half of the brokerage account or the real estate passes according to the will of the first to die, so that exclusion amount can be fully utilized. There are lots of simple ways without anyone feeling they've given up control over their funds to equalize assets um, between a husband and a wife. Uh, when it comes to retirement accounts like 401ks and IRAs, uh, do some people do the wrong thing as far as uh, designating beneficiaries, and how should that be done correctly? The first thing to do is to make sure you do designate a beneficiary. If you name, uh, don't name anyone, it's going to be your estate. And if you name an estate or a trust as a beneficiary, there are some negative income tax implications to that. Um, it's required, and this is just for an IRA, not a 401k, but you're required to draw down that IRA in a five-year time period. That means all of the income earned in that IRA will be taxed over a five-year period. If you name an individual or a series of individuals, you have the ability to stretch the value of the IRA over the beneficiary's lifetime. If you name several beneficiaries over the life expectancy of the oldest beneficiary. And that's a really great way to continue the benefits for your beneficiary, presumably someone of the next generation, without having to recognize all of that income up front in the first five-year period. Now, with that said, a lot of people are concerned if they want to name someone from a younger generation that maybe they're not responsible enough to understand the benefits of a stretch IRA. So there are certain trusts that can be set up, often called a look-through trust, for example, where you can name the specific trust as the beneficiary of your IRA and not lose that stretch ability. So there are a lot of really terrific things that you can do. Um, another factor is that sometimes those who are charitably inclined say, you know, let me leave a portion of my IRA to my local church or synagogue or maybe to my favorite museum. Unfortunately, when you name a charity is one of your beneficiaries. You've now lost the ability to stretch that IRA, and we go back to that five-year um, pull-down requirement. So IRAs are really tricky, tricky um, investment vehicles, and they have some great benefits. But when you pass away with one, there are a lot of ramifications um, to having that. We really encourage people to seek counsel to make sure the right thing is done, which if I could interject one more point sure. about IRAs, the, the best advice I can give to someone when they find out that they are a beneficiary on an IRA after someone passes away is to not run out and quickly change it to your name. There are certain post-mortem um, 
planning techniques that are available. But once you change an IRA, roll it over into the beneficiary's name, you've lost the ability to make any decisions regarding that IRA. So I think it's always best to get some counsel before making any decisions because in the case of the IRA, it's really a permanent decision. And I assume you explain all this in more detail in the book? I do, in as much detail as I can. I, and I try to make the content of the book interesting and enjoyable because, let's face it, you know, tax law and death and dying issues are not exactly, um, hey, let, let's put it this way, we'd all rather be watching the Sex and the City movie. But these are important issues, and if we can approach them and have you understand them in an enjoyable and somewhat fun manner, I think it's going to make it a less intimidating subject and really encourage all of your smart women who are listening to get out there and to make these plans. Another area you talk about are powers of attorney. Uh, are these often not taken care of correctly, and, and what should people do in a power of attorney, and what's the reason for doing it? Um, a power of attorney is a document which allows someone to make financial decisions for you, and there are several different kinds of powers of attorney. There's a broad, general, durable power of attorney, which I think is the best, and that really allows your agent to do everything that you could do um, if you were able to act, and even if you are able to act and you need someone to give you a hand now and then. The moment that you start to limit the um, capabilities of your agent, that would be with a limited power of attorney, or to make the power of attorney effective only if you're incapacitated, it makes the power of attorney less workable. If you have to prove to a bank or to a brokerage house or to a realtor that the person that you're representing is, in fact, incapacitated, chances are you're going to have to go to court or get doctor's notes, and that makes it really, really difficult. Um, the true benefit is that, listen, we're all going to need or likely will need help at some point in time. It could be just for a short period of time during a hospitalization, or it could be for many, many years due to an incapacitating illness. And you want to give your agent the authority to do as much as possible to take care of you, but also to make wise financial decisions for you. Okay, we're going to go to a break. I'm speaking with uh, Wynn Whitman, who's a partner with the law firm of Shank, Price, Smith & King in Morristown, New Jersey. Her latest book is called Smart Women Protect Their Assets. And we'll be back after this. Money, money, up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. 
Have you found yourself overwhelmed or stalled, not getting the goals you dream of? Hear what the experts say about how you can break through solutions, systems, skills, get your strategy on track, and accelerate your business success. Join Linda Feinholz every Monday for The Spark Effect. Linda and her guests will show you and your team exactly how to grow your business further, faster, easier. The Spark Effect is heard every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. There are so many challenges facing management today around the world. The New Management Network is here to provide practical insight and solutions for many of these challenges. Hosts Don and Bonnie Folk will explore topics designed to help you get the competitive upper hand, including organizational tools, personality and leadership, cutting-edge management tips, and much more. Join the New Management Network live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Network. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. With the law firm of Shank, Price, Smith & King in Morristown, New Jersey. Uh, she's also the author of a new book called Smart Women Protect Their Assets, Essential Information for Every Woman uh, About Wills, Trusts, and More. Welcome back to the show, Wynn. Thank you. We were talking about uh, powers of attorney. I think we pretty much covered durable powers versus limited powers of attorney there. Sure. The one thing I wouldn't mind mentioning about powers of attorney is what happens if you don't have one. Okay. And that is likely that your next of kin or spouse is going to be forced to go to a local court to request to be named a guardian for you, to make your financial decisions for you, and to make health care decisions for you. And that's a public proceeding. Um, it's very expensive, and it's time-consuming. And I, I think that for the cost of getting some of your powers lined up, you can end up saving your friends and family a great deal of time and energy in trying to resolve your affairs having to go to court. And then you also say that people should have a health care proxy as well. Right, and the health care proxy and living will, in our office, we usually do them as two separate documents. Many firms do them as one document, but I'll divide the two concepts, the first being the proxy, and that's naming someone to make your medical decisions for you, only if you're unable to do so. Um, as long as you have the capacity and the ability to communicate the health care that you want, those decisions are always yours. But for many, many reasons, whether temporary or long-term, as we discussed previously, we often need someone to step in and to help us make our medical decisions, whether it's um, a, a temporary um, anesthesia, a temporary illness, or a long-term debilitating illness. And, and it's very important that you select someone who's going to understand your thoughts with regard to medical care, both while you're healthy and at the end of life. And it's the end-of-life issues that we often hear a lot about, and those focus on the living will or a health care instruction directive. And that really outlines the care that you want at the end of life. I have a lot of um, discussions with clients about the fact that they're afraid having a living will that might state that you requested that you have no extraordinary health care at the end of life means that their leg won't be fixed if they're in an accident and the leg is broken. And that's not true. A living will really only comes into play when you're in a terminal condition, whether it's due to a terminal illness, whether it's 
due to some kind of brain defect or disease or some kind of traumatic illness. And a living will doesn't just have to say that you choose no further health care. We have plenty of clients who come in who want a living will that says, I want you to do everything possible for me until there's nothing left that can be done. The point is that we want and encourage everyone to make it very, very clear to those who are making decisions for them exactly what kind of care they would want in that really kind of tragic end-of-life situation. And it's a very personal decision. You know, for some people, it's a very clear one, no further medical care. We've had several patients suffering from that um, awful disease, Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS, where they may want to be on a ventilator because that's the only way that they can live, but they may draw the line at having a tracheotomy. And I think that if you suffer from any kind of chronic or terminal condition, that you have a heart-to-heart with your physicians and really outline exactly what care is appropriate for you. These documents should be tailored and very personal. A a simple form document, I think, doesn't do the trick for most people. What happens if people do not have a health care proxy? Um, certain states have statutes or administrative code provisions that will outline who is able to make a decision for you, often a spouse, maybe a child. Some states do not, which means that, therefore, no decision is going to be made on your behalf. You end up in the worst-case situation where someone really is at the end of life and might have wanted to have no further care, but a hospital or health care provider is likely going to be obligated to continue to treat that person until they have passed away. Yeah. Now, you also say that um, it's, it's important to have a, uh, a correct letter of instruction uh, as part of it, It's attached to the will. It's not the will itself, but it's part of the will? Right. We, we usually suggest that people um, provide their loved ones in a place that they can readily and get it. I call it the important paper drawer, maybe an unlocked firebox, a letter of instruction that outlines a lot of details, where the original will is, maybe the name of your lawyer, an accountant, and financial planner, um, exactly where all the other original documents are, power of attorney, and the health care documents we just spoke about, details about where the life insurance policies are, who the life insurance broker is, um, where the last tax returns can be found, details about other financial assets, maybe even where the deed to the house is, or if you have a couple of timeshares, where the deeds to those can be found. The more information you provide to your loved ones, the easier it's going to be for them if you're involved in a catastrophic accident and need financial assistance, or alternatively, if you pass away unexpectedly and aren't able to go through with them what your assets are and the best way to proceed. I'm continually impressed by some of our clients who really provide excellent information to their families, right down to what should be contained in the obituary, where the funeral should be. Um, It sounds a little bit eerie and and certainly not the happiest subject, but it gives them a great sense of um, peace to be able to provide their loved ones with as much information as possible. The letter of instruction does not really talk about uh, kind of the classic case where you have uh, all the relatives sitting down by the lawyer and he reads that and says, you know, you, son, number two, were cut out of the will, that kind of thing. Is, is that... No, I w- that's, it's more a, a practical document. You know, it might include your password to your online account because otherwise it's virtually impossible to cancel that account. Um, but really, as I said, kind of asset information, where to find things, what they expect values to be. I think if someone is interested in not including someone 
in their will or trust, which they're more than entitled to do with the exception of a spouse, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, you know, I, I hope everyone realizes that an inheritance is a gift and not an entitlement. I think there are a lot of people who don't realize that. And if you choose to not include someone in, in your will, for example, I think it's always best not to say why. Just to say simply that I'm excluding my son X from receiving any benefit from my estate. I think we've often found that when you start to make accusations in a document, that actually becomes grounds for litigation. For example, if someone were to say, I'm excluding my son X from receiving any benefits in my um, will because he's had a substance abuse problem, then the son can come back and say, but I no longer have that problem, so I should be entitled to receive. I think sometimes the, the less said is the best. So in, in, is that what most people do, or do they tend to put in reasons? And We always uh, talk the folks out of wanting to include reasons from doing so and simply saying, I exclude this person. If they feel strongly, we suggest that they leave a letter or something for that person mm-hmm. to read that's not part of the legal document. Um, in part, as we said to one client, that they were very upset with a child's behavior but we reminded them that a will can become a public document, and there's no reason someone couldn't pick up on that and perhaps, you know, share it with grandchildren or something like that, and then you end up with more hurt and heartache than I think you ever really intended. Is it a legal reason to uh, challenge a uh, whatever you know a will if somebody had drug abuse or was abusive or something like that? Is that okay to do, and you can? Challenge that or not? Well, I think you can challenge anything. I think that whether or not you'll be successful is somewhat dependent on the reasons for it. Um, I think that, sure, people can always argue, you know, you said I engaged in this kind of behavior and I never did, so I'd like to challenge that. So if you just really don't want someone to be included, just say they're not included. You don't have to say why, and it's always better not to say why. Now, there are three players in the uh, settling of the state. Uh, that you go through. And again, I'm speaking with Wynne Whitman, uh, whose new book is called Smart Women, Protect Their Assets. Uh, One of them is the executor. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you should pick an executor and what their role is. Terrific. An executor is a short-duration job that usually lasts from one to two years, depending on the complexity of an estate. And it's the executor's job to what we refer to as marshal or gather the assets, pay any taxes, and make sure that the assets are distributed in accordance with the will. You want someone who's going to be responsible for this job. Um, I always suggest there should be a family member or a friend, but if you have a lot of conflict in your family, there's no reason not to consider using a financial institution, such as a bank or trust company, to take on that role. The executor is entitled to a commission. Every state has a different statutory um, commission rate. Um, Sometimes executors take the commission, sometimes not. Every estate is a little bit different. Um, But someone someone who's a good business person, I always think, is right and and understands the importance of the job. There's nothing worse than an executor who won't do anything. And often some of the biggest fights we see among family members is when you have an executor who just, for whatever reason, is unable to fulfill their duties, whether it's too emotional, whether it's over their head, no matter what it is. But if you're obligated or if you've been uh, appointed to serve as executor, you have to take that job very seriously. 
Now, the second position that we often see in documents is a trustee. And that's often a much longer duration job. And that is someone who's going to act on behalf of a trust for as long as the trust is going to last. Okay. I think we're going to get into trustee a little bit more after the break. Again, I was speaking with Wynn Whitman, uh, who's a partner with the law firm of Shank, Price, Smith & King in Morristown, New Jersey. Her new book is called Smart Women Protect Their Assets, Essential Information for Every Woman About Wills, Trusts, and More. And we'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, 401ks, investments, refinancing. We can help you. Call now toll free. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. No excuses, no delays. If you have goals you want to achieve or changes you need to make, then it's time to take charge of your life with America's change buddy, Nancy Christie. This show will help you lead a more productive and fulfilling life starting now. Take Charge of Your Life challenges you to expand your sense of possibilities. Take Charge of Your Life with Nancy Christie is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. Let change be a positive force in your life. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Wynn Whitman, who is a lawyer with the law firm of Shank Price Smith and King in Morristown, New Jersey. Uh, she is a uh, author as well. Her, her latest book is called "Smart Women Protect Their Assets: Essential Information for Every Woman About Wills, Trusts, and More." Welcome back to the show, Wynn. Thank you. We talked a little bit about executors and what they do. It's kind of a shorter-term job. Uh, then the next thing is trustees. Let's talk a little bit about more about what trustees are supposed to be doing. Uh, trustee is really the person who's entrusted with assets for the benefit of another person. 
Um, and again, the trustee can be a person. It can be a financial institution. And the duration of the trusteeship can be decades. It can be hundreds of years, depending on the way a trust is established and set up. So when you're making a decision regarding a trustee, it's always important in the document that you have to have the ability to change trustees, to allow a trustee to resign, um, to allow the appointment of a corporate or financial institution to serve, but also to recognize when you're selecting an individual that a trust could go on for many, many years. When we're counseling clients, if we have a youngish couple coming in, they might want their 70-something father to serve as executor because, again, that's a short-duration job, as we discussed. But maybe the 70-something-year-old father isn't so great for a trust that could last till a child is 40 when that child is only two. Maybe then you're better off picking an individual who's a younger generation or have the older family member serve with someone who's younger just in case he or she predeceases you. And then you need to set up successor trustees as well. Exactly. With all of these positions, I'm so glad you mentioned that. It's always critical, in my opinion, to have several successors, especially with a couple. You, know, you might name one another to serve as executor, but unfortunately there's always a chance that something could happen to both of you at the same time and you need those backups. Have you seen that in your practice where people do not set up successors and they're kind of left in the lurch? Um, you know, we, we really do, and that often requires a court appointment. Um, or, for example, you know, we have a lot of really old documents in this office, still on carbon paper, if anyone can believe that, where, you know, everyone's died, candidly, mm-hmm. and someone hasn't come back for 40 years to redo their will. It's something they drafted in the 70s. And, again, that requires court involvement. And while the courts are, you know, they handle this all the time, it's an unnecessary expense. And, you know, I might be the only lawyer out there who wants you to spend as little as possible on lawyers. <laughs> um, and then the third party that uh, is, is part of the whole estate planning is the guardian. And for most uh, young parents, this is the critical, critical appointment. This is the person or persons who are going to raise your child for you if you're not able to do so. A lot of people say, who do I name? Do I name my brother? Do I name my sister? Well, we really want you and encourage you to name the person who's going to raise the child as you would if you were um, alive to do so yourself. You shouldn't um, worry about what you should do. You shouldn't let societal pressures or family pressures make that decision for you. If you feel that a sibling is not the right person, you should rely on your friends. They're your friends for a reason. But worse than um, anything is not making a decision at all. I think it's very difficult when there's a tragedy and one or both parents passes um, for the families to fight over who's going to raise your child or children. And it's much, much more important for you to put that in writing and make it clear to everyone exactly who you want to be the guardian of your little ones. If you have not set up a guardian, who appoints the guardian? The court does. So do, do, who, who has a, um, some power to influence the court as to who's going to get the guardian? or just? A... I think it's often grandparents. You might start with that. If the grandparents are older and, and don't feel that they can serve in that capacity, maybe you're going to go to siblings. Um, but you're going to have a lot of competing people. And if, you know, we often find, and it's unfortunate, whenever there is a tragedy, it brings out the worst in people, and they start to fight in many, many different ways. And we want them, it's, it's not necessary for anyone, and it certainly does not benefit the children. 
So yeah. we, we encourage people to make it clear exactly who they want to serve. And, again, successor guardians as well, right? Always. Yeah. And for for those who have questions, you know, they're – I'll, I'll give you an example. Some people say, well, I want my brother and sister-in-law to serve. Maybe that's not the best, you know, event just in case they were to divorce. You don't want there to be any questions during their divorce proceedings over who should serve. But alternatively, we can always include language in the document that says my brother and sister-in-law, but if they divorce, just my brother. You know, there, there are lots of different ways to handle it, and that's why it's so important to seek counsel and work with them independently because everyone's got a different fact and circumstance. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone over the letter of instruction, we've gone over the, what the executor does, what the trustee does, what the guardian does. You have a list of, a uh, so-called to-do list of uh, 15 uh, tips to get your estate in order. We can go over some of these uh, briefly. The first one is to get an estate planning attorney. Uh, you said to ask friends and colleagues, but what is the process that you should go by to, to know that you have a good estate planning attorney? I think you want someone who is a specialist in the field. You don't want someone who only does real estate closings and only writes two wills a year. It's very complicated, as as you can tell from the tenor of this conversation. This isn't um, easy stuff, and, and one small mistake in a document can really cause a ripple effect of problems. So it's important to have someone who specializes in estate planning. There are plenty of us out there, and there are websites to help you find attorneys specializing in, in uh, state and um, trust planning. Do you have some of the resources in the book to help people find them uh, locally? Absolutely. Whether it's your local bar association, whether it's the American Bar Association website, there's also um, ACTEC, which is the American Council of Trust and Estates Council, and NALA, which is the National Associative Association excuse me, of Elder Law Attorneys. And they will refer you to, to estate planning lawyers in your end. Exactly. And I guess you know, referrals is, is probably even better somebody who's dealt with them before, right? I think so. But, you know, talk to one or two people. You know, you need to have a good relationship with this person. And if you don't have a good feeling going in, feel free to go and talk to someone else. I think it's also important to be candid with your attorney. If you're going in for surgery or planning a long trip and you need a document completed by a certain time, Make sure they understand what your time frame is and that they can work with you. Yes. Then you say that you should make an appointment uh, with the lawyer. You, you find that people find the lawyer and then don't act, actually make appointments and go ahead with these things? Exactly. There are a lot of people who um, make the first effort and then kind of step back. I think because, again, as we discussed earlier, it's not exactly the happiest subject. But like all of us who go for our annual physicals or annual tests, it's an important thing to do, and while it may not be particularly pleasant, you're going to feel much better when you have it crossed off your to-do list. And also in the book, and again, uh, Wynn's book is called Smart Women Protect Their Assets. You talk about preparing a net worth statement. Uh, I think you have a copy of one in there. Right. The more information you can provide your counsel, the better plan that you're going to get. Um, you should hide nothing, and especially hide assets, because the difference between, as we discussed earlier, a $2 million estate today and a $4 million estate is very significant from a tax planning perspective. Um, your, your attorney has a confidential relationship with you and really needs to know everything. So, again, they can help you prepare a plan that's best for you, your family, and your assets. You know, someone who has a farm and has a lot of real estate is going to have different needs from a planning perspective from someone who simply has a lot of assets in a securities account. 
Do those net worth statements go with the will somehow? They're not officially part of it, but is it no, 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 it's not part of it. It's really part of the, the attorney's file in helping you to determine what's best. And I think, Jordan, you were nice enough to mention earlier about IRAs and 401Ks. Those are very different assets, and there's specific planning that should be um, undertaken for those assets, including making sure that the beneficiary designations are correct. If your attorney doesn't know that you've got have $2 million that's in an IRA versus a regular brokerage account, there's a piece of that puzzle that might not be completed. Then you say you should uh, look at the various planning goals and concerns about the estate. What are some of the questions and, and goals people should look at there? They need to think about what their goals are. Are their goals to educate their grandchildren? Are their goals to be sure that their partner or spouse is taken care of? Or alternatively, maybe they're interested in benefiting some local charities. They need to share what their goals are. Um, for a lot of people in our country, there are a lot of disabled individuals out there, and planning for individuals with disabilities is critically important. And that's a whole different area of planning and requires special attention. So again, if you have a disabled loved one you want to help take care of, you need to make that clear to your attorney and explain the disability. So again, a proper plan can be set up to take care of that individual, not jeopardize their government benefits if they're receiving any, and also to have some tax benefits. And you say at the meeting with the attorney, you should tell them everything. What are some things that people hold back from the attorney that cause problems later? Oh, one of my favorites is um, an out-of-wedlock child that maybe even the spouse doesn't know about, which changes how you might draft your will, again, trying to exclude certain individuals, um, not expressing that you have a loved one who has a substance abuse problem or has had other issues in the past or maybe is incarcerated. These are not happy subjects for any family at all. But, again, your attorney's there to help you resolve these issues and find ways to make sure that these loved ones, despite their limitations um, or frankly, disabilities, there are certain ways, again, to take care of them without harming them. So you find that people don't like to, to mention bad news or unpleasant things? No one ever does, do they? But, you know, your attorney is the one person to tell. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess it's all done in confidence anyway, right? It does, it's all done in confidence. And really, there's nothing that we haven't heard before. <laughs> well, I mean, could you actually have a will where... Uh, say, a husband and wife, and then there's an out-of-wedlock child that the wife doesn't know about, and it, it comes out after the husband's died that this happens? I mean, is it... that, that's happened before. There were surprises you know, that... that happened at, at that point, then, huh? Right, and it, it's better to either reveal it, or and that's a kind of situation where we've actually suggested the couple have separate counsel, because you can't really represent both the husband and wife and have um, information that can't be revealed to both of them. Um, but we've had plenty of situations like that, and often people come back and say, now we've developed a relationship with this out-of-wedlock child. We'd like to recognize them in a small way. But often in wills, in an effort to be inclusive, a will might say, to my children. I leave everything in equal shares to my children. Well, there's a child out there that maybe you don't want to be included in that definition of child or children. So we have to be careful about issues like that. Okay, we're going to go to a break. Again, my, uh, my uh, uh, guest of this hour is Wynne Whitman, uh, who's written a new book called Smart Women Protect Their Assets. We'll be back after this.
sell, buy, buy, sell. All we talk about is money. Talk to an expert. Call now. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and and pundit Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. The Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, The uh, Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is uh, Wynn Whitman, uh, who is a lawyer, a partner with the law firm of Schenck, Price, Smith & King in Marstown, New Jersey. Uh, She's the author of a new book called Smart Women, Protect Their Assets. Essential Information for Every Woman About Wills, Trusts, and More. Uh, it's published by Financial Times Press, FT Press. Welcome back to the show, Wynn. Thanks so much. So we were talking about uh, having the lawyer uh, to telling them everything, whether it's out of lock, wedlock children or other kinds of surprises. After you've, you've spilled your, your guts here, uh, what, what is the next step that people uh, need to take? Again, to really outline with their attorneys exactly what their goals are, um, whether it's to leave everything to a spouse but in a tax-efficient manner, whether it's to um, make small, specific gifts to children or to charities and everything else to their adult children, for example. Um, maybe they're interested in skipping their children and doing some generation-skipping planning because their children have done very well, don't need the assets, and to get more to their grandchildren. Um, there, there are so many different ways that an estate can be structured and so many different options available. 
Um, and if you don't understand them all, it's a good opportunity to have a discussion with your attorney and, and give them a, a broad idea as to what you're trying to do. And he or she will often have some really beneficial ideas to help you achieve those goals and to help you really formulate what those goals might be. And then you say the uh, lawyer is going to draft uh, documents. It, it probably can be a little overwhelming for people to read these very long, yeah. realistic wills. How do they know if something's in there or not, that, you know, if something's missing? I, I think that to take the time to look at it, we certainly don't expect people to read all the boilerplate provisions, you know, sometimes the powers of the executor and the trustee, because it can be very overwhelming. But um, ask the attorney, if they haven't already done so, to really give you an outline of the documents. We do that in the form of a letter for each of our clients that says this is what this paragraph talks about and this is what this paragraph talks about. And to also be very sure that you check the spellings of names and make sure people are listed in the order that you want to. For example, we talked about executors and trustees. Make sure that they're listed in the order that you discussed because Attorneys are just like other people. Errors are made, and you need to be sure that you've reviewed it just in case they have made a mistake. Okay, and then uh, once it's all, uh, you've agreed on the draft and so on, then you're supposed to sign it. Now, uh, even the signing of a will is itself something you should do right. You just don't sign it. It has to be notarized and witnessed. Is that it correct? has to be notarized and witnessed. Every state has different requirements. Most states have the um, provision for what we refer to as a self-proving affidavit, which means often that people sign twice so that the witness doesn't have to be found, you know, hopefully many, many decades from now when the will is needed. Um, there's a formality, probably more so with the state playing than in any other area of the law, that requires original signatures and everyone to be in the same room and for an oath to be stated. So even if, and I discourage this, but even if you were to try and write a will on your own, whether it's using a form or using something on the Internet, at least have an attorney help you with the formal execution because a will that isn't executed properly just poses problems for anyone. And a quick example is a case that we had where someone did a codicil, which is an amendment to the will, by themselves, had it notarized but not witnessed, which then required us to go to court. So it incurred probably oh, ten to $20,000 of extra legal fees where if he'd just gone to an attorney in the first place and spent $1,000 to have the codicil done, it would have really saved his family not only a lot of money, but a lot of um, aggravation as well. Does the witness have to um, judge the competency of the, the person? I mean, what if a person is signing a will under duress or in an incompetent situation? Uh, it's a great question. I think duress is a tough one. And we always ask that people leave the room, any family members or friends who are with that person, so we have an opportunity to discuss with them quickly on their own. Are you sure this is what you want to do out of earshot of anyone who might be strong-arming them? Competency, that, that's a more difficult issue. Someone doesn't have to be able to speak to be competent. Uh, we've had plenty of folks who aren't able to write. They're only able to make a mark. It doesn't mean that they're not competent, though, and I think that that's something we gain by experience. Um, if, if you're asking someone in a hospital or an assisted living facility, for example, to serve as a witness, they usually know this person or are able to attest as to whether or not they believe they're competent. But for those of you who are asked to serve as a witness, if you have any doubts, don't sign the document. You, you know, you don't feel obligated to do that. But you have to be competent to sign the will, is that correct? You yes, cannot to be, be competent. And, and, and for some people, people have moments of competency when overall maybe they're considered not to be competent. They kind of go in and out to, to an illness or a medication level, and someone can be competent one day and not the next. Um, 
So it's, I think, something you kind of gain from experience and knowing exactly how competent this person is or is not. So once you've signed, witnessed that it's all been done, what should you be doing uh, with the original documents? I um, At our firm, we, it's an old bank building. We keep our wills in the vault here. Um, you can ask your attorney to keep it in their vault. Um, which is a very safe location, or perhaps a firebox or safe in your home. Let people know where that original is. I, I'm not a great fan of using a safe deposit box, especially for powers of attorney and healthcare documents, in that let's say you were in an accident on a Friday night of a holiday weekend, your healthcare representative might not be able to get to the documents till the following Tuesday, having lost several days of being able to prove that they're the individual to make your decisions, or alternatively, can't even get into the box because the authority to prove that they have the authority is in the box. It's a big circular argument. But you want people to have um, accessibility to the documents. That's one reason we always encourage our clients to sign multiple copies of the powers documents so that they're one or two available, or if an original gets lost, it's not the only original. So, so having copies around is okay. It's just, but to actually do the... Execution of the will, it has to be done with the original, is that correct? Correct. Yeah, you, you need to have that original to probate. Now, of course, originals get lost all the time. It does happen, and often you can make application to a court to admit a copy or what's referred to as a confirmed copy, but again, that's an expensive and often unnecessary proceeding yeah. if you've got the original. And then once you've done all this, uh, how often should you uh, review your estate planning documents and uh, you know, what kind of changes typically are made when they're reviewed? We, we encourage people to review their documents every five years or whenever there's a major life event, and that could be a birth or a death, a marriage or a divorce, um, when there's, or when there's been a large change in your asset level. As I like to say, you can always tell the folks who've won the lottery, who've consulted with their estate planning attorney first, based on the way all of a sudden it was a family lottery ticket and they're all participants. That's great estate planning. Um, so, again, when, if you win the lottery, we're the first people that you could call, or you have a big increase in assets at work. These are all reasons to have a quick conversation. Maybe no change is going to be needed at all, but it's certainly worth a half-hour conversation with your counsel. Well, about a minute we have left. Why don't you just sum up briefly, Wynn? And, again, I've been speaking with Wynn Whitman, uh, who's a partner with Shank Price, Smith & King in Morristown, New Jersey. Her book is called Smart Women Protect Their Assets, Essential Information for Every Woman About Wills, Trusts, and More uh, by FT Press. Why don't you just sum up briefly what, what is so important about taking care of these things, which a lot of people don't. It's so important to outline what you want to have happen at the end of life with regard to your health care, when you have a living will and a health care proxy as to who makes your decisions for you, who's going to help you out financially in making your decisions for you, and that's using a power of attorney. But when we pass away, we've spent a lot or our entire lifetimes often accumulating things, and we want them to be passed to the folks that we want to have have, have them. We want to be able to take care of disabled beneficiaries or we want to provide for grandchildren's education or just take care of good friends or partners or other family members. And it's up to us to take on the responsibility to make that plan, to see that our wishes and our goals are fulfilled. As they often say, the best intentions, if you don't do anything about them, those intentions are not going to be fulfilled. And while it's certainly not the happiest of subjects to think about death and the end of life, there's a certain peace that comes with making your plans to be sure that exactly what you want to have happen 
happens. And if anyone takes anything away from our discussion here today, it's that these are your decisions. They're not a spouse's or partner's decision. It's not a child or grandchild's decision. It's your decision. It's your opportunity to make sure that what you want to have happen happens. And don't be bullied. Don't feel that you have to do something or you should do something. Make sure that the plan you implement is the plan that you want. Very good. Okay, well, thanks so much, Will. It's really been fascinating. These are things people really should be taking care of. And your new book, uh, Smart Women Protect Their Assets, should certainly help them take care of this. Terrific. Thank you so much, Jordan. It's Thank been a you pleasure. so much. And we'll be back again next week. Bye bye. All right, very good. Thanks so much, Wynn. That was really great. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.